Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with the vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump, Ellis. Well, good morning. And as you all know, we have been talking about the presidential 2024 race and uh, the GOP nomination as well as the Democrat nomination. And neither race is uh, by far settled right now. But of course, we also have to consider state and local races. And we've had a number of uh, candidates and issues that we have discussed on this show and one that is particularly interesting to Mississippi that my first guest uh, says is uh, really going to uh, be a spotlight and emphasis moving forward in 2024 is uh, whether or not uh, Mississippi is going to end up with a uh, zero income tax as a state. And uh, now for me living in the free state of Florida, that was actually one of the incentives uh, why I moved to Florida to have uh, zero in state income tax. And um, so I think a lot of people are very interested in this issue. And even in uh, my former home state of Colorado, uh, our Democrat governor, Jared Polis, uh, made that one of his campaign issues that he wanted to get Colorado to um, a a zero state income tax. So I think this is kind of a uh, an interesting question that is potentially bipartisan or nonpartisan. So uh, here with me now is Grover Norquist, who is the president of Americans for Tax Reform. So uh, Grover, this is a really interesting and fascinating question. Uh, What's going on in the state of Mississippi and why is this so important, uh, not just for this state, but also nationally? Oh, sure. Uh, Look, the debate in Mississippi is the one that's happening across the country. There are 50 states. Seven of those states, including Florida and Texas and Tennessee, uh, have no state income tax at all. There's no personal state income tax. There are 12 states where the governor and the legislature have said, we're going to zero. We want to be like Florida and Tennessee and Florida, places that investment comes to, jobs comes to, businesses move to, families move to and stay, don't leave. They come, they stay uh, in our state. <clears throat> and so you've seen Iowa and uh, West Virginia and Kentucky and uh, the state of Arizona and New Hampshire all committed to go to, uh, to zero uh, income tax, uh, Nebraska as well. Uh, Arkansas announced that's their plan. They're just beginning that movement, but they're uh, moving towards it. Uh, North Carolina has been doing this on it uh, over the last 10 years and is on its way to towards zero. Uh, and you said bipartisan, both the Republican and the Democrat gubernatorial candidates in South Carolina, the Republican one, but both party candidates said, I want South Carolina to get to zero, uh, like Florida, like Tennessee, uh, like ten- Texas. Uh, and we almost had ten, with Minnesota, be, Minnesota. How about Mississippi? Mississippi become the state um, that Minnesota is the other team. I was going to start listing the bad guys: Minnesota, New York, California. <laughs> they're at ten percent. Uh, Mississippi uh, was at five. 
they're going to four, but the governor, uh, Tate Reeves, is ran on the commitment to go to zero and is strongly for it. Uh, Phil Gunn, the Speaker of the House, was the leader. He got a vote that was roughly 100 to 14 people of both parties, including much of the Black Caucus. Almost everybody <clears throat> supported phasing the state income tax down to zero, not in two weeks, uh, but over about a 10-year, 12-year period as revenue grows because the state grows. You just, instead of taking that money and spending it, you pay down, you reduce the state income tax step by step by step exactly what other states uh, have started to do. This was stopped by your lieutenant governor, um, Delbert Hoseman. Lieutenant governor in uh, Mississippi runs the Senate, and he wouldn't let the Senate uh, vote for it. Uh, A majority of the Senate, all the Republicans just about wanted to, uh, and yet he stopped it. So it's going to go from five to four, but not continue to zero. And the issue before Minnesota, uh, Mississippi, um, I'm mad at Minnesota for going in the wrong direction on taxes, so they're on my brain. Sorry. Uh, Mississippi. <laughs> That's okay. I think uh, everybody's mad at Minnesota for a lot of reasons. <laughs> they should okay. be. They should be. They should know better. New York, California, we've given up on them, but they, they, they seem like such serious people in Minnesota. They, they shouldn't be doing this. Um, in Mississippi, we have the votes in the House. We have the... the um, uh, the governor, and we have this uh, majority of, of the Senate, the Republicans, but the, what's standing in the way of Mississippi joining the march to zero to uh, be in a position like Texas and Tennessee and Florida, where children stay in the state. They don't leave to get jobs other places. Businesses move to you. You don't have to move to uh, businesses. I mean, Mississippi's had some progress, but they're now competing. There are 12 states that want to go to zero in addition to seven. Those states that don't begin now to phase down to zero are going to be left behind. Uh, and that's very damaging for the states that are sort of stuck in the mud. Most of those are blue states. Mississippi is the, uh, one of the very few red states which isn't committed to phasing their income tax down. And there's an election um, uh, coming up uh, on uh, uh, in um, <clears throat> August, August 8th. Um, on that election, that's when Adelbert Hoseman, the man who stopped the effort to get the income tax base down to zero, um, is running against Chris McDaniel, who is running as an advocate of getting uh, to zero and supporting Tate Reeves and his vision. Uh, and Speaker Phil Gunn, and the vast majority of the House uh, in in Mississippi. So imagine, you know, when people decide, when a a company overseas says, we want to invest in America, then they've got 50 decisions, which state? They want to know which states have low-income taxes. When an American company says, we want to invest in America to be patriotic, well, you can be patriotic in 50 states, but only some of the states Will your workers be free from income taxes? So you first decide we're going to invest in America, and then you say we're in America. And those states that slow walk or don't get around to getting phasing their income tax down to zero are going to be in a difficult position. And I thought that Mississippi was going to be one of the first successes in this second wave of moving to zero uh, because Phil Gunn, the speaker, uh, 
uh, and Kate Reeves, the governor, were all set to go. Delbert Hoseman, when we would have meetings with all the supporters, would not even show up. Uh, wow. Uh, so, to, so to Grover Norquist, uh, what, what is the lieutenant governor's rationale? I mean, why would he have slow walked this and, and stalled this? Uh, because this seems like something that would be obviously great for the state of Mississippi. I mean, that we've seen so many uh, conservatives and, and companies from California move to Tennessee and Florida because of that incentive of uh, zero personal income tax. Uh, Delbert Hoseman was a Democrat for much of his life, a tax and spender, and he continues to be uh, someone who like, thinks the government should spend more money rather than leaving it in the hands of the people of Mississippi. Uh, that's not a successful program. Um, I know, you know a lot of people became Republicans over the last decades, uh, but they generally did so because they agreed with Ronald Reagan uh, that limited government and low taxes make for a prosperous town, a prosperous state, a prosperous country. Um, but Delbert Hoseman is the person standing in the way of getting lower income taxes in the state. And if Chris McDaniel defeats him in, in the primary, we will be able to elect a governor, a lieutenant governor, uh, and a House and Senate majority committed to having Mississippi be a leader in pro-growth policies rather than lagging. The other state that's been lagging a little bit is Alabama. They haven't been uh, seriously reducing their income taxes. Um, but Louisiana's committed to, to, you know, to continue uh, downward. Texas is rate cutting other taxes. Now they've already got rid of their – they have no income tax. Now they're cutting property taxes. Um, Tennessee's been continuing to cut taxes even after they got rid of the income tax. And uh, Arkansas – one of the three promises of the new governor up uh, there, uh, Saunders, was we're facing income tax down to zero. Wow. And yeah, and, and I think for genuine conservatives, we all uh, subscribe in one form or another to the proposition that taxation is theft in in a sense. I mean, we, we understand that uh, some taxation is necessary, but even uh, on the state level, uh, to be able to to implement this plan like uh, like Texas and Tennessee and Florida, why can't the rest of the states be like that? And when it comes to uh, these Republicans in name only or rhinos, um, that's where a lot of genuine conservatives get really frustrated because we elect these people thinking that they have the same fundamental conservative ideology and and they don't. And this is why elections, especially on the state and local level matter, uh, even as you're describing Grover Norquist in one instance in Mississippi, that one position has effectively prevented and halted uh, Mississippi from getting to a net zero uh, in personal income tax as a state. And that is a huge impact on the entire state, just that one elected office. Uh, but in just the last few minutes I have with you as well, I wanted to ask you about the federal level and you know th- this kind of uniparty that's in Washington. Um, are we ever going to see you know, kind of any sort of meaningful tax reform. I mean, I would love to see us go to a a completely different uh, plan on the federal level than personal income tax as well. I mean, I think the the 16th Amendment was horrible in its inception and and design. I'd love to repeal that. But are we going to see anything uh, meaningful from, you know, Republicans or anything out of Washington? Yes. The the difference between 
Mississippi, where you have a Republican governor and a Democrat who is run as a Republican in the Senate, unfortunately, but a good, solid Republican uh, in the speakership. Um, we should be able to, if we get a, a Reagan Republican, a Trump Republican uh, in the position uh, in the state Senate leadership, pass this, the, the, the phase down to zero. In Washington, we have a Democratic president, a Democratic Senate, uh, and a Republican House by five votes. So the Republicans can, if all everybody hangs together, stop many things. But they can't pass anything. Uh, this next election in 24, we need to elect a president, a Senate, and a stronger House, meaning more Republicans in the House. Uh, and then I think you'll see the uh, income taxes come down. Uh, I think we will It'll take time at the federal level, just as it does when you phase the income tax out. It doesn't happen in two weeks or two years. This is a 10-year project to, to phase the income tax down to zero and, and bury it. Uh, at the federal level, we need to keep reducing reining in spending, block-granting welfare programs to the state so that if California wants to be silly about how it hands out welfare, they can do it with their own money, and other states can, can do a better job uh, and be more competitive. In, when Washington does something, it, then the whole country gets stupid as the answer. Uh, what you want is 50 choices, and some states can spend their money more reasonably. They can use it to cut taxes. They can, uh, can require people to work if they're going to get welfare um, and not be tied down by the preferences of New York and California when we try and run, you know, when Washington does things uh, around the country. So uh, the answer is yes, but we do need a different Senate leadership, a different president, uh, and more Republicans so that uh, we can get this stuff passed. Remember, it does take 60 votes in the Senate to change a law because of, of uh, the, 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 the filibuster. So we really need to really bulk up in the U.S. Senate. Yeah, well, that that makes so much sense. And this is, again, why elections matter. And I am so appreciative of your insights and your hard work on uh, all of these tax reform issues. And that is why, Grover Norquist, you're the president of Americans for Tax Reform, a great organization. And I hope you come back frequently and update us on uh, all of these issues and also how we can help. Uh, You can go to atr.org for the Americans for Tax Reform website. And you can also follow Grover Norquist on Twitter at Grover Norquist. We will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And it's always just so fortuitous when we have a scheduled guest that comes on and says, hey, we have a breaking news. So I'd like to welcome in my good friend, Todd Starnes. Todd, good morning. Hi, Jenna. Great to be with you. And uh, the breaking news, and this is exciting news for Christians, uh, the House of Representatives, they have to vote on a bill that authorizes military spending. They call that the NDAA. And House Republicans stood their ground and uh, they were able to um, they were able to attach a, um, a proposal that would stop funding of abortions. So the House votes to limit abortion access in the military. Uh, that's a headline from The New York Times this afternoon. 
uh, and a lot of liberals are enraged. But the House voted to overturn a Pentagon policy that guaranteed abortion access uh, to service members, regardless of where they were stationed. And if you remember, after um, after uh, the Roe v. Wade was overturned, uh, the military stepped in and said we were going to they were going to open up the military bases so that women could have abortion. Well, this vote today stops that dead in, the, in its tracks. That is incredible, and what an answer to prayer, and I'm sure that there are a lot of liberal leftists that will now be crying foul. Um, Is there anything that uh, the Senate can do at all to overturn this, or is this just something that has come out of the House because it's been voted on, uh, you know, this is where it stands? I mean, what what can the left possibly do? It's going to be tough. So there, this will set up a, a, a fight, a battle. And, of course, the argument will be, well, the Republicans are trying to stop the funding of the military. Uh, but ultimately, it will be the Democrats who do that in the Senate, you know, if this is not passed. So uh, good on the um, good on the Republicans in the House for standing their ground on this and, and doing the right thing. And uh, our good friend, Congressman Matt Rosendale from uh, from uh, the um, from Montana, uh, pardon me. Uh, he he had a great line um, about another issue within the military, talking about the funding for all of these woke things that were happening. And he says, if someone does not know if they are a man or a woman, they should not be having their hand on a missile launch button. That is a really excellent point. And, uh, you know, I I would say that that should go for the president and the vice president and certainly our Supreme Court justices as well. But, uh, you know, we still have some problems there. Uh, But this also comes, Todd Starnes, as uh, Biden has now ordered uh, just just a a few minutes ago, really, as well. And other breaking news, a 3000 reservists of the U.S. military to Europe as fears rise that the United States is nearing an armed conflict conflict in Ukraine with the Russians. And you do have this story up. Um, Justin, Biden orders U.S. troops to Europe up at ToddStarns.com. And, um, you know, this this to me just goes hand in hand with what uh, the left and even, uh, you know, the rhinos like Lindsey Graham are suggesting that there is a pathway to NATO membership for Ukraine that would then uh, bind some U.S. involvement. And um, I just see this as continuing to be a disaster when nobody, Republican or Democrat, that has supported funding Ukraine has really clarified what, if anything, are actual U.S. interests and what are the goalposts that actually measure success in Ukraine? It's a great point, and, and we just really have no clear understanding of what's going on there. And the, the, it's what I find fascinating is even the media coverage uh, is just non-existent. Um, you don't have the reporters on the front lines of the battle like you do in, in other wars. Uh, that have played out in in the modern television era. So it's all very strange, um, and, and we'll we'll see what happens here. But it's clear to me that the big story was that NATO rejecting Ukraine, and uh, that was really a I think that was a blow for uh, Vladimir Zelensky uh, in his efforts to uh, to get legitimacy. Uh, by the way, I want to go back again. This uh, just kind of a flurry of breaking news items. Uh, back to Matt Rosendale. This the House. Uh, did pass his amendment that would ban taxpayer dollars from being used for gender reassignment surgeries and hormone treatments in the military. So those House Freedom Caucus guys and gals are on the warpath, and they are fighting for Christians and conservatives uh, in America today.
Wow. And this is where it just reinforces the understanding that, you know, everyone here at AFR is constantly reaffirming that we have to be praying for our leaders and we have to be praying for the conservatives to stand up in solidarity for these issues. And I'm very thankful uh, for representatives like Matt Rosendale and others uh, that are really advocating for life. Um, you know, there are even members of the Senate as well that are making sure to put the Democrats' feet to the fire. And now, especially in the wake of the Dobbs opinion, uh, we now can have these conversations and some truly meritorious victories for life. And uh, Todd Starnes, I want to turn now to uh, to another story that was breaking today, but has kind of been ongoing in, in, I think, just a ridiculous fashion. And this is from American Family News at AFN.net. No fingerprints, DNA sample or leads from cocaine found at the White House. So uh, the U.S. Secret Service uh, said today that they uh, have not found any physical evidence. And so without physical evidence, the investigation will not be able to single out a person of interest from the hundreds of individuals who passed through the vestibule where the cocaine was discovered, according to Secret Service officials today. So I have a lot of questions, Todd. I mean, you know, I had an access list badge when I worked for President Trump when he was still in the White House. I still had to go through two checkpoints, the mags. If I had anything remotely uh, sensitive in my bag, that would have been found immediately. So a lot of people are thinking, and I think that the concern is legitimate, is this from one of the family members? Because they're the ones that bypass all of the security features and have access otherwise. And what is so fascinating to me is that Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre has not just come out and stated a full denial that this belongs to Hunter Biden or any member of the first family. Why, why isn't she doing that? Well, and she, look, if, 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 if it wasn't their cocaine, she would be out there screaming that with a megaphone. Uh, so th- that there's no doubt about that. So the fact that she refuses to say one way or the other, I think there's your answer. And I think the secret service, they know whose cocaine that is. I mean, come on. It's the, most secure building in the United States of America. There are cameras everywhere. I, I worked there at the White House during the Obama administration in the, in the White House press corps. Um, and, and I can tell you, you know, the security measures are very strong. There's no way anything like that would have been able to get into the White House. But the word came down today, Jenna, that this is not the first time that illicit drugs were found uh, in the White House during the Biden administration. Uh, there was reporting out today that cocaine, or rather, marijuana was also found uh, at, at the White House, um, and I believe that was um, last year uh, that they that they made that revelation. So, what's really going on here? Uh, well, I think there are a couple of things. First of all, Jenna, you're telling me we still don't know who planted the pipe bombs. Uh, at RNC, DNC headquarters. We still don't know who leaked the draft of uh, Roe v. Wade decision. Um, and now we don't know who uh, who planted the cocaine or who, who left the cocaine there. Jenna, I'm telling you, you can have Barney Fife show up and he would be able to solve these crimes in less than 25 minutes. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and Todd Starnes, I think that that just, you know, absolutely goes to show that the Biden administration is not really interested in keeping their promise that they'll bring decency back to the White House. Uh, they were also the ones that during this Pride Month had that just grotesque display of vulgar behavior on the South Lawn. Uh, but they also have no interest in actually uh, providing accountability to the American people and the American voters. And this also tells me, Todd Starnes, that uh, that Biden, or at least his handlers, because he's not really aware probably of what's going on at any given moment, but the, the Democrats that are in control of the Biden administration are thoroughly uninterested in any sort of favorability uh, ratings and pollings for the administration. They don't care what Americans think. Well, why is that? Because they just think that they're entitled to power. They think that they will continue to be elected regardless of actually fulfilling their obligations under the U.S. Constitution or openly negating that, openly saying we don't care what the Constitution says, we're going to tear it down openly, like Chuck Schumer saying, uh, you know, that he that we're going to come after you, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, and openly threatening uh, justices of the Supreme Court. I mean, they're just blatant in their disregard for law and order. And I'm really tired of this. And so, you know, what has been your view on how effective or not the congressional, uh, now the Republican majority on the weaponization of government committee uh, has actually been in some of the hearings, especially uh, this past week as well? Well, and unfortunately, it was a big nothing burger. I mean, yeah, there, there was really shocking revelations and horrifying things and, and laws broken, at least upon my view of all of this. But at the end of the day, the Republicans really don't have a way to punish these people, um, except for the one thing they will not do, which is defund the FBI and, and defund all of these government agencies that have been weaponized against the American people. Now, if, if they really want to play hardball, I think that's, that's the way to do it. But, Jenna, I want to go back to this cocaine because I have a theory. Um, and the theory is, is, is not too far out there, but it's very possible that somebody wanted this cocaine to be discovered. Somebody wanted this to get out. Again, we're just now finding out about their marijuana. It's because they want us to. And why is that? Well, I think there's been an effort to try to convince Joe Biden not to run. You've got mm. Barack Obama, who has set up shop. He's living and working in Washington right now. And, and I think this is part of an effort to warn Joe Biden that if he does not do the right thing and step aside, then there's going to be more of these things leaking coming and more leaks coming down the road. That is a really fascinating perspective, Todd Starnes. And I think you're absolutely right that, you know, this was something that was likely meant to be discovered. A lot of people on social media and some of the, even the mainstream media's reaction is, you know, hey, this is just a psyop. This is just, you know, they're doing something else and they just want us fixated on this story. But this has uh, potentially real world implications uh, for Hunter Biden if this is actually traced back to him because he just entered into a plea agreement with the Department of Justice that everyone who uh, you know wasn't partisan for uh, Joe Biden uh, rightly termed a sweetheart deal where he got a diversion sentence and then misdemeanors for what any of us would have been charged with steep felonies and looking at you know prison time if it were us uh, but still being on drugs or being found in possession of that uh, would violate probation in the terms of his agreement and so you know maybe this is a kind of shot across the bow 
to Joe Biden who may not be willing to step aside. And I think, and I've, I've predicted uh, very openly for the last uh, couple of months that I think that Gavin Newsom is clearly preparing a media campaign to run for the Democrat nomination. I mean, everything that he has done from the media interviews with Sean Hannity to uh, having his wife kind of get ahead of some of the uh, potential opposition research to uh, attacking Greg Abbott out of Texas to, you know, a lot lot of other things that only a national looking candidate would do in media. I really think that he's uh, just waiting for Joe Biden to announce that he's not going to run. Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah, he's 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 running. And I think the, the issue here, though, um, is that uh, ultimately uh, that, you know, this is not going to be Joe Biden's race. So is does does Gavin Newsom really have the chops to win nationally? I don't think so. I'm not sure a, a you know another white guy is going to cut it for the Democrats. I think you're going to have progressives who are going to be demanding some serious change, serious diversity on that ticket. And that's certainly not Kamala Harris. I mean, there are already people, <laughs> that, you know, the, the whispers in D.C. are that she might not even survive till the election on the ticket. So um, so we'll see what happens. My money, my dark horse money is still Michelle Obama or a mm. Hillary Clinton, Michelle Obama ticket. Wow. And w- wouldn't that be a disaster? I mean, the, the Democrats, in my view, would be, would do well to just totally forget about Hillary Clinton and all of the baggage that, that she carries. But, on you know, on the same hand, I mean, that's what a lot of people are suggesting to the GOP about Donald Trump. But he's the clear front runner right now. And, you know, that'll be interesting to see how that uh, that progresses. But who... Um, who else do you think would jump in? And do you do you anticipate that if the Democrats are not successful in kind of uh, pulling Joe Biden aside, that people are going to start uh, jumping in even while Joe Biden is at least technically running? Yeah, so I, I, it could be that they go with somebody younger, but, but I think that you are going to have Barack Obama, who has really been pulling the strings behind the scene. I think he is going to be the kingmaker here. And uh, does that mean, you know, they'll try to get Hillary and a Pete Buttigieg? Um, I I don't think Buttigieg is strong enough to be on the top of that ticket. But this will be a diversity ticket uh, that will meant to and and it will be a direct answer to the culture war battles that are being waged around the country right now. And we're also getting some word that and some rumblings out of Virginia that Glenn Youngkin may be getting ready to, to do something here, um, possibly jumping into the race, depending on what happens with Governor DeSantis and his polling numbers. There was the reporting out from Rolling Stone and I believe the New York Times um, saying that um, Rupert Murdoch is is beginning to have some concerns about the, the polling numbers um, surrounding Governor DeSantis. So we'll see how there's a lot of intrigue on both sides of the political aisle. Here. All right. Well, we got to leave it there. And I think it is going to be very fascinating to see who may still jump in the race on both sides. And uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin jumping into the GOP race will be a little bit after everybody else, but we'll see. All right. Well, we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning.
Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. And welcome back. So I would like to bring on my next guest right away, Chad Prather. A lot of you in Texas know that he ran for a governor there and is a Blaze TV host of the Chad Prather Show. And uh, Chad, first of all, you know, we've been talking about this whole cocaine gate story. And last week, uh, the Secret Service basically said that without physical evidence, the investigation will not be able to single out a person of interest from the hundreds of individuals who passed through the vestibule where the cocaine was discovered. And, you know, my reaction to this was, I think you have one very specific person of interest, Uh, And his name would be Hunter Biden. So why aren't we even talking about that? And why hasn't the press secretary for the White House come out and and, and unequivocally denied that this belongs to Hunter Biden? So your reaction to all of this, and and I just can't believe this unbelievable story. Well, Jenna, it's good to talk to you, first of all. And, And I know that a lot of people will listen to that story and they'll think, ah, that's old news at this point. And there's no reason to keep bringing it back up. But I think it is an important subject. That, uh, and it's, it's the subject of accountability, right? Uh, you know, listen, let me just put it this way to your point. If they had found empty vodka bottles, like little airplane bottles in the White House and Nancy Pelosi had been there, our assumption would be that it was Nancy Pelosi. Uh, if there were donut crumbs there and Chris Christie had been visiting, our assumption would be that it was Chris Christie, right? And so with Hunter Biden having been there for the 4th of July celebration, that is a logical conclusion. And now, after they came back and said there was no conclusive evidence in order for them to have a suspect, they said, oh, yeah, we also found marijuana in the White House last July as well as last September. So at this stage in the game, you have to ask yourself, who's the president of the United States hanging out with? Like, who are his guests at the White House that these uh, illicit and illegal drugs are being brought into the White House? So, you know, I tweeted last week, I said, you know, within moments, they knew everybody's name and identity that was within a quarter mile of the Capitol building on January 6th. But you're telling me that the most surveilled building in the world, the White House, doesn't know who put their hand in their pocket in a secure area, and when they pulled it back out, something fell out that turns out to be an illegal bag of, of cocaine. Now, anybody that's lived a, a, in a, you know, a crazy life at some point in time, they find a little bit of humor in this thing, but it, it's a serious thing because you have to ask yourself the, the question of who did it? Was it Hunter? Could it have possibly been the uh, the vice president of the United States could it have been her husband Doug Emhoff? Uh, they say it was found near where they parked their car when they visit the White House. Uh, could this been could this have been the president's? Could it have been the first lady's? We don't know because at this stage in the game, isn't it interesting, Jenna, that whenever something like this comes up, that we don't have to make some big long stretch to be able to come to a conclusion of who this could have been. We know that we're dealing with an administration that is borderline – well, not borderline. It's absolutely progressive insanity. The stuff they come up with is an abject failure. And then you look around and you say, and now we're going to mix in illicit drugs. I mean this is Joe Biden who stood on the floor of the Senate and held up a quarter and said anyone holding a a, crack cocaine in this amount deserves to go to prison for at least five years. And – his own son has a laptop with consistent and multitudes of videos and pictures of him in possession of crack cocaine. And so 
you know, this is the guy that wants to crack down on your Second Amendment rights, your guns, but yet he, his son just got off with a slap of the wrist with a gun charge. This is absolutely a two-tier justice system. This is, this, is, um, this is an America where you have the haves and the have-nots. You have the elites and the peasants. You have the uh, people who are above the law, those who are below it. I guarantee you, Jenna, if I had walked into the White House and dropped a bag of cocaine, I would have been in federal prison. I would be up on charges. I would be public enemy number one. Uh, and you know good and well this was an entrance. This was an area where people had to be uh, – they had to be secured by, uh, by security you know, by Secret Service security. So this was somebody of note, somebody of privilege, somebody who got away with this. And I think the American people deserve to know what they're dealing with, especially as we head into uh, the elections of 2024. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chad Prather, I could not agree with you more. And, you know, I had an, an access list uh, badge going into the White House during my time working for uh, former President Trump. And I still had to go through two security checkpoints and then the mags. I mean, if I had had anything remotely questionable on my person or in my bag going into uh, the White House complex, they would have found that. And certainly there's security uh, footage and, you know, all of that all over. And so for them to just kind of, the Secret Service just throw up their hands and say, oh, well, there's no, you know, fingerprint evidence. Sorry, this mystery is just going to remain unsolved. I mean, this is as stupid as saying, oh, sorry, we can't figure out who leaked uh, the, the draft of the Dobbs decision. I mean, it, it seems like yeah. everything that the left doesn't want to get to the bottom of, it's just, oh, sorry, we're kind of the, you know, the idiot bumbling uh, detectives over here. And then, the, you know, they, they use all of these, um, you know, triangulations of cell phones and, you know, and and selfie videos, and they, you know, enhance them and all this stuff for anyone that they want to prosecute for the January 6th stuff. Um, and so this is really a targeted prosecutions. And that's what I think the American people are so frustrated with. Not that, you know, we don't have uh, laws on the books. I mean, everybody is for the rule of law, but we don't like the selective application and the selective prosecution that clearly this is, and that it, it's just such a a brush off from the White House being like, Meh, you know, this doesn't matter. And then, you know, and, and then from this, um, Chad Prather, I also want to uh, get your comments on this story where uh, Biden approved sending 3000 reservists to Europe. And this is also something that the White House is kind of brushing off as, eh, well, you know, it's his prerogative, whatever. And so last Thursday, uh, President Biden authorized the Pentagon to tap up to 3,000 reservists for deployment to Europe to augment U.S. troops there in support of Operation uh, Atlantic Resolve. But I think the concern here is uh, how much we are going to, as the United States, support the Ukraine-Russia conflict. And, you know, there hasn't been any sort of um, declaration from Congress. I mean, we've certainly financed Ukraine way too much. Uh, but this is really scary stuff heading into especially a, a presidential election. Yeah, well, it's, it's scary on a lot of things, on a lot of levels. It, and let me just preface everything I'm going to say next by saying there's, there's I don't believe my personal conviction. There's no good people in this. Uh, Russia's not the good guys. Ukraine's not the good guys. America's not the good guys in, in this scenario. Um, I've lost respect for people who are flying and now uh, defending a Ukrainian flag, whether it's on their social media or outside of their business or anything. If you're, if you're not of Ukrainian descent, I have zero respect for that symbolism of solidarity. 
simply because of the way this thing has been handled. Ukraine has been a nefarious country for a long, long time. It's a place of human trafficking and money laundering. I believe politicians have utilized it. Uh, Again, the cabal, the haves versus the have-nots I mentioned as we talked earlier, these are people who have utilized Ukraine as an easy place to access a lot of illegal activity. So when I look at what's happening, and Ukraine comes out two weeks ago and says, we now have $39 billion in our governmental reserves, uh, that's more money than's been in the, the, the Ukrainian government's bank, their account, in the history of the country, and that is all American dollars. So I have no respect for what's going on on the part of American bureaucracy to continue to fund this never-ending debacle, which is Ukraine. But then the the social justice aspect of continually defending this nonsense. Now, to your point, it's about to get real because now we're about to do something that is constitutionally illegal. We're about to, without following due process and the procedure of, of our federal government, we're about to put boots on the ground. We're about to put American lives in danger in Ukraine. And you can brush that off, sweep it under the rug all you want. The problem here is these are our sons and daughters. And now this tyranny, which is the Biden administration, is doing it unilaterally without any sense, as you say, of congressional permission or or an act of, of doing this in a legal way. They're just acting uh, hodgepodge They're, with, a, with a stroke of a pen. It's being done. And I don't believe that American troops, our men and women that put on a uniform every day with a willingness to serve and sacrifice and, and die for our country, I don't believe they should be fighting under a Ukrainian flag. It's mm. the stars and stripes. It's the 50 stars on a blue field, red and white. And I, I don't believe if you're fighting, if you're not fighting under old glory, you're fighting for the wrong reason. If you're an American troop, you have taken an oath to defend this country. And in our situation, what we're doing, I believe, is politicians are defending their special interests in a horrible place like Ukraine with a government. I have a friend who is on the ground in Ukraine. He's actually a contract, military contractor there. And he told me, he said, listen, Zelensky's not even the guy in control. It's his old television producer. His old television producer is the one who's running everything. And Zelensky, as we've all suspected, is the puppet. So if you're willing to send our sons and daughters to Ukraine to die under a Ukrainian flag for a for a puppet that we're funding and continuing to prop up, this is the abject sign of America just just running another sham on, you know, on the American people. It's expensive and it's about to start costing lives. And I'm talking with Chad Prather, who is the Blaze TV host of the Chad Prather Show. And you can follow him at Watch Chad on Twitter. And, you know, I, I think, Chad, these types of discussions about how derelict the Biden administration is being, how reckless they're being with American lives, um, how unaccountable they are to finding, you know, cocaine and illicit drugs in the White House. I mean, these are the things that we as the voters need to be talking about instead of all of this friendly fire between Trump and DeSantis. It's like, you know, have I, uh, do, are there things that I disagree with with DeSantis? Yes. Things that, you know, Trump could have done better. Yes. But at the end of the day, either of them or anybody else on the GOP side would be better than another four years of Joe Biden. And so how is this going to actually um, affect the 2024 election, in your opinion? I mean, are we going to kind of get out of this uh, mudslinging of the primary and actually focus on the real domestic enemy, which I believe is the Biden administration? 
Well, Jenna, you, you and I both know, and, and you especially, you know what it's like if you jump on Twitter and you and you say anything that you mentioned, either name, Trump or DeSantis, right now, you're going to be attacked. You know, if you say anything that's in any way supportive or sounds positive towards Ron DeSantis, people are going to accuse you of being part of a new world order, one world government, you know, WEF. Uh, I mean, all this crazy stuff, which is absolute nonsense. And in my opinion, it's nonsense. There's nothing to back yep. that up. It's amazing to me that a few months ago, you know, everyone thought that Ron DeSantis was the greatest governor in America. And now he's some kind of public enemy, number one to Republicans. I don't buy into that at all. Uh, I, I have been a Trump guy. I have always been, you know, a MAGA, you know, conservative in regards to that. I believe in Donald Trump. I still believe in Donald Trump. I fight for Donald Trump. But I, but I've, at the end of the day, I fight for conservative values, regardless of who the person is sitting in that office. Now, the encouraging to thing to your point, and I do hope that we can put aside the backbiting and the and the nitpicking with one another and understand that we are we are literally crumbling as a republic because we are operating under all of these tyrannies. You know, the Biden administration, then you've got the corporate tyrannies, the medical tyrannies, the judicial tyranny, all of these things, educational tyranny, all of these things that are controlling, you know, the Americans' lives that are so unconstitutional. We've got to see that, you know, everything is being stripped from us as a country. The hopeful thing is that, you know, at least with the Biden administration, they're, they're not keeping pace with their fundraising. They're not doing well campaigning. I do not believe Joe Biden is their candidate in 2024. It's going to be interesting to see what happens for them to get rid of both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Now, Kamala Harris, they could get rid of easily because no one likes her anyway. And no, nobody knows what she's talking about half the time. Joe Biden he is a controllable puppet, so he he wields a little more power, but I don't think that's going to happen. You know, my guess is either going to be Gavin Newsom. He'd be my number one pick. And let me just say, go on record here and say, Gavin Newsom, for those of you who think he's a little more eloquent, younger, and better looking, is 10 times worse than Kamala Harris and Joe Biden combined. Mm -hmm. So policy-wise, we don't need that. So, you know, him could be a Michelle Obama We'll see what happens with this power play, but I don't think Joe Biden is the guy. So that that at least is a little bit encouraging to me. If Joe Biden is their candidate in 2024, then something's up and we're in further we're, we're in worse shape than we ever dreamed of being. So I hope the backbiting can stop. I hope that we find a, you know, a candidate. I will, you know, I, I will mention there are some good candidates. There's some good common sense people out there running. That if we, that we need to listen to all of them, and you know, I, you and I think we've talked about it. Various people talked about it. When I ran in the primary in in Texas, I said, you know, over and over, I wish there were a hundred people running because we need the conversations out there happening. This doesn't need to be a unilateral thing, and and we need as many people involved in the political process as possible because we're in trouble. Yeah. And that is so well said, Chad Prather. And I think that that's the genuine conservative and American view of the elections and how we need to uh, encourage more people to run instead of having such mudslinging that that then, you know, the common sense uh, American is going to think, why would I ever engage in politics? It's so dirty. It's so disgusting. My family is going to go through uh, you know, all of this stuff on, on Twitter, on social media. I mean, there are people literally advocating for Ron and Casey DeSantis to get a divorce because they they can't stand, you know, the fact that he's challenging Trump. I mean, things like that are just so beneath the dignity of 
not only the Republican Party, but genuine conservatism. And so I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I hope that we can at least uh, be leaders in this, and all of us listening here on uh, American Family Radio Network can genuinely say we want to be conservatives first, and we want to advance the principles that make America great. So uh, Chad Prather, really appreciate your insights and commentary. You can find uh, Chad Prather on Twitter at WatchChad and also on The Blaze TV. I'm Jenna Ellis, and I will see you tomorrow morning.